is Petticoat Rule, a program about musical productivity examined through the storytelling lens of women in the music industry. I'm your host, Erica Lang, and let me introduce producer Tara Molesworth. Hello. And our guest today is Black Rap Medusa. Yo. The system will fuck with your karma. Put a bullet hole right through your mama. Put a knife hole right through your windpipe. Choke, fuck your armor. Look your honor. I don't need a judge to speak my peace. All I need is lunch to be at ease. My girlfriend said she don't need no weed. Cush it, cush it. Black Rap Medusa is a member of Pittsburgh's hip-hop community who uses her musicianship as a tool for seeking social and political justice. Her passion for her mission is even embedded in her name. Medusa is a self-designed acronym that stands for Making a Difference Using Skills and Activism, and she does so with aplomb. On stage, she is a captivating leader as she unifies and inspires the audience towards her messages of radical motivation to combat white supremacy and systemic racism. Offstage, she is eager to meet with that audience and make that message even more personal. The first time that I spoke with Medusa, I left in awe of her freedom of self-expression and with a new motivation to bring myself into alignment so that I could also utilize my energies for the messages I want to send out into the universe. She has unlocked an ability to bring her music to that next level where it has true purpose and potential for a revolutionary impact. Meanwhile, her ingenuity, grace, and fearlessness has allowed her to step across boundaries, connecting with the audiences who really need to hear what she has to say. And that is precisely where we're going to start. So Medusa, welcome to Petticoat Rule. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm like, are you talking about me? I'm talking about you. Yeah, it's it's totally you. And um, and if you don't mind, I thought it would be a great place to start if you would just um, describe some of the the themes in your work right off the bat. Like, what are the main messages you really hope to relate to the masses? Um, Unapologetic existence, uh, first and foremost. Uh, But, you know, I advocate... I'm a staunch advocate for uh, ending mass incarceration. So those are uh, mostly, uh, when I think about my work, it's, it's mostly centered around ending mass incarceration and all types of injustices, but my main focus is to focus on this demographic of, uh, of currently and formerly incarcerated individuals. In your personal life, do you have friends and family and, and people who are incarcerated in unjustified ways? Oh, absolutely. Um, I am formerly incarcerated, as well as a lot of my comrades, friends and allies, family members have uh, been incarcerated or have some type of experience with incarceration, uh, be it their children, their brothers, their husbands. Um, just is is it's very is common. It's a very common reality, um, especially for people of color. Uh, to have this experience. The way that the world has worked out is truly abominable. Yeah, I'd say. I think um, I think our leadership has despicable character. I think um, even, you know, whatever side of, of politics, uh, you know, folks are on, politics in and of itself um, just really has a negative connotation in my mind. I don't see uh, where it's uh, benefited um, Americans or anybody 
to have these policies in place that don't really matter, that are not really observed, that that common Americans don't even know the Constitution. Mm-hmm. You know, even though this we're supposed to get like some type of civics in schools, or but you know, public schools are not teaching civics to you know um, youth anymore, not on the level that they used to. Mm-hmm. And so folks, folks don't even understand um, the penal system and <clears throat> become incarcerated because they don't know their rights. They get arrested because they don't know their rights. They don't know that that they can fight the system um, until they're inside of the system. Is a very specific demographic of Black women who um, are largely incarcerated for nonviolent offenses or for defending themselves, mostly for defending themselves. That's terrible. Um, against an attacker, you have the stand your ground rule, right? Mm-hmm. But then you turn around and say that women cannot stand their ground. Women cannot defend themselves against an attacker that's trying to rape her or kill her. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't even have the authority to protect her own children, um, especially if you're a person of color. So uh, the best thing I can do is to use my voice to amplify uh, the message of resilience, um, whether you're incarcerated or out in the streets. Um, so I work with a lot of organizations that, you know, focus their energy towards prison abolition. How did you think this came to be? I mean, is it because the the prison system is like a privatized system and there's profit involved in addition to the systemic racism that's in place? Well, I think that, you know, everything is uh, by design. And I think that, you know, the prison industrial complex, one, it is privatized. However, I think that there is a certain element of population control that the government wants to exert on uh, people of color simply because they don't know what else to do with them. Hmm. Um, And so they use the public education system as well as these um, drug laws to you know, mass incarcerate these people. So I think that not only is it a big, big bank, right, but it's also a way to control this group of people. Now I can disenfranchise an an entire community if I take uh, if I take the men out or if I cause systematic oppression, not by my hands. You don't see me actually, you know, locking you up because a lot of times folks are getting arrested by people who look like them. Mm-hmm. It's not just like, you know, white police officers coming into the neighborhood wreaking terror. It's not just white CEOs wreaking terror. These are people who look like us. And we're saying like, whoa, wait. Yeah, you mean like the police officers who are doing the arrests are black themselves? Right. Yeah. Right. But they are, you know, observing a code. They are trying to be accepted. Um, They turn an eye to any type of brutality that's happening because they want to be a part of the good old boys. You know, they want to be a part of the gang. Um, And that's how we look at police in our neighborhoods. It's like they're a gang. Mm -hmm. They have guns like the Crips and Bloods got guns. Huh. That's a really interesting perspective. One of your great points is the misinformation that that people have, especially young people. Um, I think that people don't know a lot of details. Like, I didn't know, actually, till recently, that schools are funded mostly by the taxes in the neighborhood they're in. So this means that a low uh, socioeconomic status neighborhood that doesn't have high property values, that doesn't pay a lot of taxes, ends up not having a lot of money for the schools that are in that neighborhood. I mean, how can you succeed in that situation? You know, it's like set up for for failure. 
Well, yeah, because again, when you're uh, specifically around like black and brown communities, you're talking about the public edu uh, education system is uh, a school to prison pipeline. So it's a pipeline for these youth to go to prison. So of course, we're not going to educate you or give you the proper tools to, you know, to become self-sufficient. We want you to be dependent upon the system. So if you are talking about a public school and, and they're shutting them down anyway, even the schools that are in these, you know, that are close to these neighborhoods, you know, kids are being bussed outside of their neighborhoods to these schools to get a, a subpar education, mm. um, to be uh, indoctrinated with all types of um, self-depreciating type of information. Like what they're being taught is not for them to, you know, feel good about being an American citizen. They feel low because they perpetuate, you know, ideas of slavery without talking about why slavery existed. They give they give them, uh, you know, Black History Month where they talk about the same old people and they don't really talk about what they actually did. They talk about like the watered down version of what happened. They don't talk about Claudette. They talk about Rosa. They don't talk about, you know, Ella Baker. They talk about, you know, uh, uh, Martin Luther King. Mm -hmm. They don't talk, you know, so they leave, they, they erase these women, they erase Ida B. Wells, they erase all these individuals, especially, specifically around women. Um, and, I'm, and I'm specifically talking about the work that women have done, that black women have done to, you know, to kind of eradicate the system because Ida B. Wells saw this system coming. Because mm -hmm. um, it's, it's kind of like an uh, oversimplification of the 13th Amendment. And so that's why we see mass incarceration. Have you heard of the 13th? Yeah, but why don't you describe just so that everyone's on the same page? Okay, so the 13th, uh, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment were the amendments that essentially freed the slaves and gave them right to citizens. Um, but the particular, in, in particular, the 13th Amendment said that um, no person shall be enslaved unless they have committed a crime. And therein is where it became a crime to be black. So it, it from walking down the street to um, drugs. So the, the, the criminality of, of drug users now um, is specifically around black people because there were always drugs. I lived in Houston uh, for about a decade or so. And a lot of the old folks used to say that you could get liquid coke. You know, from the tap at the store, <laughs> you could go to the store, turn on, a, pay the person, pay the clerk, turn on the little tap and get some liquid Coke and go home, give it to the kids, put it on their teeth. You know, uh -huh. this, it was a, it was a killer. It was a, a medication. In order to lock black people up, they had to criminalize this drug. They said, no, this drug makes black men invincible. This, that's what they said. Cocaine huh. makes black people invincible. Uh, I guess... Uh, Such propaganda <laughs> we deal with. Uh, supposedly, there was a case where the police officer had shot a black man and he kept getting up. Uh. And they were... <laughs> they said he was high on cocaine and so it made him invincible and so they became intimidated and so they said, we can't, we can't let him... We can't, they can't do coke. They'll kill us. No, 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 no. They'll get back up. No, I seen him get back up. So... Wow. We can't do that. So, you know, and then, you know, fast forward all the way into like the late 70s with the Rico and Reagan and Nancy and, mm -hmm. you know, just kind of all this kind of coming back in. And so when you see this influx of drugs happening, because the 60s, right, the 60s very well could have been a mass incarceration era. Sure. But it wasn't. It wasn't really until the 70s where you see like a lot of 
resilience to the system, right? A lot of resistance. I'm not resilience. A lot of resistance to the system. And specifically in the black community, the black power era, you see people, you see the government begin to, you see like a scramble of um, the government to try to quell this uh, sort of uprising that's happening. Um, because after folks assassinate King, I'm kind of all over the place, but I'm trying to lead us yeah, back. Bring, yeah, bring <laughs> um, you know, so after you after the assassination of King, you see more of a rebelliousness in poor people. Mm-hmm. And not just poor people in America, but poor people around the world are now looking to America, and specifically African-Americans, like, what are you going to do now? Because we're ready. The Palestines is with us. Everybody was, hey, what are you guys doing? What China was with us. It's like, hey, you guys are about to rebel. So in so doing, there was an era of black feminism that like really like was going hard, really had some um, awesome movement tactics and strategies that they kind of got usurped from them. Yeah. Um, they kind of got taken away. If it wasn't um, black men in leadership, it was white women in leadership. So uh-huh. they crafted all of these, you know, ideologies and they were taken from them. And so now we're coming back to a point where the 13th Amendment becomes this thing of stripping all of these people of this this power mm-hmm. that was that was coming. It was this power was coming. So Pro was formed. Pro is a counterintelligence program that the CIA started. Um, it really started right after Watergate. Really was something that they used during Watergate. But whenever... The black the black power movement was rising. Basically, they begin to usher in this this era of extra surveillance of extra intelligence in these communities now because they're trying to quell an uprising. When we look at the criminality, so so gangs, right? Mm-hmm. So what originally started out like the Black Panther Party has kind of disseminated into Crips and Bloods. And so you see the police try to turn these two groups against one another. Mm-hmm. And the reason that mass incarceration becomes a thing because now not only am I putting guns in your neighborhood, so that we can keep this feud happening. Mm-hmm. Because they were originally one organization. The Crips and Bloods were one organization. Were they? Yeah, they were originally, we call them bastards of the party. Uh-huh. So it's like, <laughs> it's basically like all the people of the Panther Party were either killed or in prison, right? And so this group that came of them is their children. Hmm. The children of the Panthers. I see. Who I were see. also rebellious and didn't actually know. So you get drugs and guns Coming into this era, the 70s and the 80s, you get drugs and guns. Oh, and on top of that, you got hip hop. Mm -hmm. So hip hop, they use hip hop as a way, a certain type of hip hop to lock the young folks up. They use um, drugs, right? Because half the people in poor communities don't have passports. So they don't they're not going to Peru to get this cocaine or to get this heroin or to get these drugs. They somebody's bringing it to their community. Right. Somebody's getting it in here. Right, right, right. Right? Yeah. Um, you got the National Guard. You got all types of guards all over the place. And people, drugs are coming into the communities. How is that happening? You got people with AR-15s, Russian rifles, and that don't have a passport. They don't even know where Russia is on the map. Yeah. I don't mean, even care they about have it. These but the, sometimes they, they have these, these guns and drugs and access to all of this criminality. How so? Mm-hmm. Right. And so now 
<laughs> it's so it's just it's such a long it's such a, a whole maze of things and when you start to become aware of like the little games that the government plays all the way down to the commercials that are seen on our access channels you know what I'm saying? All the way down to the presentation of the way we look. There was just recently this thing from H&M. Mm -hmm. Have you heard about it? Oh, yeah. The uh, the T-shirt. The... Yeah. With the on the coolest monkey, the coolest monkey in the jungle. Yeah. And so and it has... like there's and the little black kids wearing it. Yeah. And there's like a version and a different version. That yeah. A little white kids wearing. And it's yeah. like, you know, some kind of like. Yeah, yeah. The coolest like, hunter in the coolest such hunter. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. And it's, it's like super bad. That's so terrible. <laughs> Who yeah. thought of this? Like, and how does that get past all of the, like, no one said that's bad the whole way? Like, how does that get all the way to the sailing? Down to the sold? mother. Down to the mother, because the mother, the mother herself it. said that, hey, I wasn't thinking of this like this. I was just thinking my kid's going to do a commercial. Also, we're living in a, a weirdly sensitive time. Uh, it's, it's, it's ironic that it's weird because you can say lots of curse words on the radio. Yeah. You can say lots of derogatory things about women on the radio. Mm-hmm. So it's like you have access to this, but then there's like this. Oh, we don't know. Oh, we didn't know. Like, it's like. Yeah, like there's no way they didn't know. I, so How could you not know? Yeah. So all of that is to go and to say that when you have something like drugs, guns and hip hop, you're going to end an element of um, approval. Mm -hmm. That's not even just it's not just being approved by, you know, the white status quo It's also being approved by your community, your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Are you hard enough? You know, as a rapper, are you you know, do you have enough money? Do you have enough women? Do you have you know what I mean? But these these concepts are constantly being perpetuated. And so it fuels the system because they're only going to let a certain type of hip hop. I've been doing I've been doing I've been out doing hip hop for like the last six years. And I've watched some of my male counterpart counterparts um, become more successful than myself saying less with le to not to be funny, but with less skill. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. With with less hustle. Yeah. Right. Um, less ingenuity. Um, it, they get to be there. Hell, and all you have to do is say one thing. Right. You know, you say one thing and, and oh, yeah, look, he's conscious or yeah. he's aware he's going to he's going to save the world. And it's like, uh -huh. wait a minute. I've been saying this before it happened. What do you mean? What do you mean? I told you all to prepare for Trump. I told you to prepare for this guy. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I said, everybody get ready. And nobody believed me. Now, all of a sudden, this guy comes along and says, F Trump. And now he's, um, I don't know if I can say that. You but. can say F Trump. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so comes along and says F Trump and dudes like, um, yeah, he's like, yeah, he's, you know, Eminem. He's getting, he, he's got, you know, mad respect for saying what he says. And it's not to say, hey, don't say it because I've already said it. But, well, what about artists such as myself who don't really subscribe to, like the status quo, you know? Yeah. What What are the pressures that are on a female uh, hip hop artist? Oh, man. Uh, so I have a lot of projects going on and I constantly have to have a lot of projects going on. I have to make the stage that I want to be on because, you know, you know, dudes aren't inviting me to be on the track with them. No, no. I've invited some dudes to be on the track, you know, and they'll gladly, you know, come and, you know, rock with me. But they don't invite me. And it's... It's because I'm too good. 
It's because you're too good. It's because you <laughs> no, have seriously. a lot to say, too. Exactly. And, you know, lyricism is my thing. I like to write. Yeah. I'm not a freestyler. I don't, you know, I don't really do the ciphers unless I'm going to spit something written. Uh-huh. Um, and so, and that's because I want to be conscious and aware about what I'm saying. Yeah. If I freestyle, I'm going to say the first thing off the top of my head, and it may not be the way I want to represent myself. Sure. And your lyrics are awesome. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I mean, Thank they're you. they're so um, they're so rich in detail and everything. And then and then they're also like some of them some of them are really clever, like um, like humorous. Like you have like a chew, yeah. my flow is sick like the flu. Yeah. Like that's just so funny and great. Like the image of that <laughs> is really awesome. So in addition to saying a lot of really meaningful stuff, you're also throwing in all this great style that really just makes the whole thing pop. You know. Oh man, all praise of the Most High. Thank you for that. Um, but I just wanted to kind of tie it back into the way that mass incarceration looks, mm-hmm. not just as someone who's experienced it, but multiple family members have been incarcerated as far back as I can remember. I have comrades right now, lifers, juvenile lifers. Uh, a friend of mine is 45 years old and has been locked up since he was 16 and oh did not even have a weapon. And he didn't have a weapon. That's terrible. Um, he got blamed for something that he didn't do. He got blamed. The, he was with some adults, and they committed a crime, and they blamed it on him. And even though there was no evidence to say that he did it, they still locked him up and gave him life at 16 years old. Wow. Um, and there's in Pennsylvania, we have the largest amount of juvenile lifers. Really? The largest population of juvenile lifers. We're one of the only states that have a murder felony rule, which means that if you are in the middle of colluding with a felony and someone gets killed, everyone gets life. Even if you never had a weapon, even if you even if you didn't know, like you didn't I didn't know y'all were going to kill him. Mm -hmm. You know, I just y'all said y'all was going to give me some drugs. Y'all said y'all was going to give me a, you know, and to lock a person up at 15, 16, 17, 18 years old to take away their life that way. Yeah. Um, A lot of the political prisoners who there's no evidence that says that they did this horrendous things. In some of the cases, the shot, it was friendly fire. The cop shot another cop. And... um. Instead of them taking the responsibility for what they'd actually done, they took some person, some innocent person, and locked them away for life. And don't even they don't even have enough evidence to lock them away. Mm -hmm. And so this is where you see incarceration become so real. So we live like outmates. And it's like, so there's a group of inmates and then there's outmates because I find people to be more incarcerated in their mind out here than they are in there. Because at least in there, you can read, you have access to your thoughts, you have access to time to think about your thoughts, to think about the thoughts that you thought thought before that Mm -hmm. thought, like, you know, (laughs) you know, you have more than enough time to, to draft any type of strategy, to draft any type of way to get free. Uh Right. To get liberated. You can do that even though you're incarcerated. Um, But here out out on this side of the fence, you're constantly on the go. You're constantly on the go. You don't stop to say, oh, let me read this thousand page book. Uh uh, Let me let me study the penal codes of Pennsylvania. You don't you don't have time to do that. You're working. You're you know, you're moving. You're You're living. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, and then it becomes a thing where it's a badge of honor. As a black man, 
to go to prison and to be a rapper, you know, to get on. Hey, I, I done been locked up, you know, <laughs> whatever. Uh -huh. And it's like, whoa, is that cool? Like, is that OK? Right. Um, but you were asking about being a woman in hip hop. So I have this one woman show that I'm writing and it basically talks about like the experience of having to the experience of upstaging really dope artists and having them try to quiet me quietly tuck me into the corner mm -hmm. um because you know like it's it's a thing as a rapper you are a bit braggadocious you are a bit arrogant that's a that's just a common trait or that's like something you almost have to be well i think that you know if you go back to lyricism and being clever you know if i'm like rakim you know rakim is clever and you know and and got a style with it and so he has to say i'm the king mm -hmm. because your 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 lyrics are saying that so you also have to stand on you know what you are and what you represent you can't go on there and be like i have low self-esteem and i don't like myself and uh yeah come be like me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right so it's like but the, but these rappers are kind of saying that like some of these rappers are really sad yeah. Like, they sound sad. Like, there's a, a kid out right now. His name is Lil Uzi Vert. And he has a song that talks about all his friends are dead. Hmm. And it says, push me to the edge. All my friends are dead. Like, I don't really care if I die. And the kids go bananas for it. They love this song. Yet when we talk about what I see in the mirror, there's all types of... Um, layers of self-hatred, of um, self-doubt, of, you know, unworthiness, like feelings of unworthiness that come out. When I look in the mirror, I see an ugly nose or I see, you know, big lips. And on top of listening to music that says, I want to die, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, there's another rapper who says, um, I feel like jumping out the window. Yeah. What does that say to a kid who's 10, 12, you know, like this guy is a teenager and he wants to die. Mm -hmm. So let me, you know, maybe it's OK to die. Um, we've had way more cases of suicide um, in the black community than I ever knew. Because to be honest, not to be funny, I didn't know like black kids committed suicide. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know it was such at, a, at such an alarming rate. It was only something that I found out once I started working with, um, like, like in the juvenile system, mm -hmm. um, and how many, um, how many young girls were suicidal and cutters, and you know, kind of just, you know, like self mutilators in a way. And it's like, as a young girl coming up, I can imagine where that feeling comes from. Mm -hmm. But if I have to imagine where that feeling comes from and listen to music that's telling me this. How often are we going to find cases of young people wanting to die? Sure. You know, um, you can say as an old person, hey, I want to die. Yeah, I'm going bankrupt. Like some real stuff is happening. But as a kid, like to be bullied that much, you know, or to be that sad, to not have the love that you want in your life at that age. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, to me, it's like it's a reflection of society. Um, it's a perfection of the sickness of society that's being really just perpetuated onto our kids. And our kids are the one who's reaping the symptoms of these diseases. Yeah, and then they're growing up in that environment and, you know, you're so impressionable at those ages. Right. It, it also perpetuates everything that's, that's going wrong. Right. So what is your juvenile work? 
Oh man. Uh so <laughs> it goes back. I um so I grew up in foster care and then um I ended up getting a full scholarship to college. Um and I graduated from Pitt. That was Pitt and what's your degree in? Uh African studies. Right, right. Africana studies. They put the little A on there. Yeah, what is the, what is the AI? <laughs> Africana. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so um you know, I ended up getting a full scholarship, and when I graduated, I went back to work for the agency that I was in. The foster agency. Uh-huh, yeah, wow. and they also had, like, um, some juvenile uh, placement homes, and so I went and worked in one of the uh, girls' homes. You know, shout out Harrisburg, you know what I'm saying? Was this, uh, like, mm, a motivation of yours to give back to the system that you were in? Absolutely. And even now, um, I'll talk about it in a second, but even now I'm uh, thinking of ways to to give back. Like, all of the work has to be to give back because someone gave to me. Mm -hmm. Um, My foster parent was amazing. Like, I didn't have some of the woes that a lot of um, kids who get caught up in the system have to go through. Mm-hmm. So I had the blessing of having a beautiful foster mother, beautiful foster mothers. Um, and even my mother, in her own trials and tribulations, still tried to parent um, as best as she could. So I didn't have just the same thing. And I think uh, just in reference to so being able to give back, um, even at this point in time, um, I'm with One Hood um, as a, a hip-hop collective. And we go into Schumann Detention Center, and we teach hip-hop to these youth. And you'd be surprised at some of the talents of these you know, young people, mm-hmm. but also of the pain that they're experiencing, like, I mean, as as people who are aware, we have a duty to save the youth. They are our future for real. And they are getting so caught up. If we think that we're experiencing a hard time under the type of leadership that we're experiencing, like, they are even more um, because there, it's a more self-absorbed society. It's no, like, push to be a community. It's more of a push to be individualistic. And going inside, like I said, if you haven't dealt with those, the, that trauma, mm-hmm. if you haven't dealt with that at all, going inside is not a good place to be, you know, mm-hmm. um, and is detrimental to like the fabric of, 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 of lineage and heritage and all of that. Like, I want us to, you know, remember that we're only as strong as our weakest link. Mm-hmm. And if we allow this individual to put America in a way, because even though America is built on a lot of blood um, and a lot of um, immoral (laughs) conduct, the people are not immoral. The people are not like, Americans are not just these horrible capitalists Mm -hmm. all the time. Like we care about recycling. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we care about, like, like, I know a lot of vegetarians and vegans. Uh I know a lot of people who love animals. I know a lot of people who love people. I know a lot of people who believe in social justice. I know a lot of people who believe in liberation. Um, And that's black, white, Latino, you know, native, whatever. I know a lot of people who believe here, born and raised, Mm -hmm. you know, that are given to goodness. So it's not to say that we as a people are just corrupt and, 
you know, but what this land is built on, you know, there's blood on the hands of these oppressors for sure. Mm -hmm. But we have the opportunity to change it. And we have the awareness. We have the awareness of the past. We know the mistakes that we've made before. We can surely fix it. But I think that we spoiled them. I think we spoiled them. And that's why they're like kind of given to it, because part of it is, you know, like you can't teach heart, Mm -hmm. you know, can't teach heart to a child. You can't say, hey, we're going to have a lesson today in heart. You know what I mean? You, it has to be something that they grow, that grows inside of them. And I I want us to begin having conversations about justice. Like, what does justice look like for a five-year-old? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and if that individual can grow up having real conversations and not just this, you know, something on TV or some cartoon, you know, whatever. But if my mom and dad is saying to me, like, you know, hey, what do you think about justice? What do you think is fair? What do you think is right? Then we begin to shape the message ourselves rather than allow this, this because like I said, no one, no one's going to recite the Constitution. No one cares about the Declaration of Independence. No one cares about any of these things mm-hmm. until they do, right? Until yeah. they have to fight in the court of law and say, you know. Until it affects them. Right. You know, it's just an obligation to make sure that our youth and our elders are taken care of in a way that allows us to protect them and to sustain um, our culture and our legacy. Like, legacy is real for me. Yeah. No, clearly, and you're such a, you're like a historian. You have so much incredible um, knowledge inside of you. So speaking of growing heart, when I uh, first met you, it was a, a spirit sessions night, and I spoke with you just briefly and you really, I don't know, you had such a great way of describing your own ability to have your being flow out of you and just be be yourself. And like now that you can be yourself all the time, it comes so easily that, that to have the force behind your message to be able to be powerful um, with that. And so I just wondered how, how do you came to that place and, you know, what your development, like what happened to you along the way in your life that you started doing lyrics and started like, are there people that motivated you or, or pushed you into it? Get, saw you saw something in you and, well, and pushed you? Um, so I have a love hate relationship with Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh has definitely pushed me to, you know, dig into my craft a lot more. Uh, I've had um, artists such as uh, Vanessa German, Jasiri X, uh, Christiana Dolores, yeah, so Anya Lioness, uh, which is uh, a rapper from the Shadow Lounge era. I don't know if y'all know oh, the yeah, Shadow Lounge era. Oh, yeah, for sure. The but era. Yes, it was a Shadow Lounge era. Yeah. And that was, um, that's where I discovered that I could, um, that I could rap. Mm-hmm. And Pittsburgh has sort of, you know, cocooned me in a way and allowed me to you know, discover myself here. But I don't like to stay here. The weather's really depressing. Mm. I miss the sun a lot. Mm-hmm. Often I'm like, where's the sun? Yeah. People, people wear black and are sad because there's no sun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, and I've experienced racism more here than anywhere else. 
Uh-huh. Um, so that's why I hate being here. Yeah. Uh, but, but in a way, it's it makes it, like, so much more important for you to be here when you are here. Which is what ends up being the case. It's like, oh, like, someone will be like, oh, well, Medusa, can you, you know, you want to do this thing, this program? It's for a year. It's for two years. Hey, it's for five years. <laughs> Whoa, wait. <laughs> uh-huh. No, I can't, like, you know, I'm just learning that I can't make those yearly commitments in that way because, um... I'm also like someone who likes to be able to go when I'm ready to go. Sure. I don't want to feel like, oh, I have to stay now because, you know, I'm obligated mm-hmm. in a certain way. Uh, Pittsburgh has definitely allowed me to grow my craft. And I rep Pittsburgh wherever I go. Mm-hmm. I definitely bring my terrible towel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Even though I'm boycotting. The NFL this year. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, we've had, we've had other guests say the same thing. Okay. So, yeah, <laughs> so you're not alone. Did you start out feeling nervous and you and you overcame that through, through performances or through a personal journey of just, like, understanding yourself better? I think it was having awesome people around me that encouraged me. Um, my friend Becca Zela, uh, who's an activist here, she definitely supported me and introduced me to different people that that helped me to grow my craft. And also becoming a part of One Hood mm-hmm. helped elevate, you know, my visibility and gave, you know, gave me a little more, a little more elevation on my platform. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's great. But Houston, um, Houston, there's something about the South that, like, gave me a lot of confidence. Um, Maybe it's the way they say their words or maybe it's the relaxed or the, you know, Southern hospitality. I don't know. But um, going to the South kind of gave me more confidence. And so I was able to come back um, up North and, you know, practice my craft and, you know, kind of win over the North Mm -hmm. in a way. The journey has been more so reading and discovering and learning myself. And the older I get, the more discovery, the more the the more desire to dig deeper and to like peel back those layers, um, um, to uncondition myself, to recondition myself and to play with my craft in a way that, you know, lets the world know that I'm great and I don't I'm not looking for approval of my greatness. I'm just saying here it is. So if I'm doing a film here or if I'm doing a song here or if I'm in a play here or I might be dancing next week, I might be, you know, whatever it is, I am going to be unapologetically great and allow myself to um, whatever. If I want it to be seen, maybe I'll put it out. Maybe I won't, Mm -hmm. you know, but I want to be able to express myself in the room to express myself in the footsteps of those who went before me. I'm a big fan of Nina Simone. And one of the things that I saw in her documentary was, you know, being aware and singing about it is a thing in America. And it does depend on who you are if you can say that thing. Mm -hmm. You know, some people can say, you know, Mississippi got down. And then there's people who can't. I I feel like, um, you know, almost obligated because of the way that her career was. And even though she was, you know, successful and amazing, you know, people ostracized her. She was depressed. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It almost seemed like like she was in a perfect place to 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 start 
a conversation and she did. And then it's almost like the world said, okay, that's enough of that. You know, we're not as interested in you now because you're still talking about that. Right. And she still kept talking about it because it was so important to her. And I feel like that's a really sad end to that story um, because she was such an amazing artist. Well, I think, like I said, um, the one thing that she said that resonates with me that will make sure that her legacy doesn't die is that it's an artist's duty to, you know, related times. You have a duty and an obligation to related times. If your art is not reflecting the times, then you're not doing your job. We are the gatekeepers of of information and, and, and spreading information in a way that, you know, that common folk can understand. Maybe common folk, like I said, ain't going to read the Declaration of Independence, but they can surely understand what it looks like to see soldiers coming home from war and still having to face racism. They can see that. They can know what that looks like. You know, it's just, like I said, we don't have to apologize about saying this, especially when you can say anything you want on the radio. You can be as derogatory about women. You can use women to sell battery acid (laughs) <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, you can use our bodies in any way, shape or form. But please, Lord, don't say anything about this phallus in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, you can say, you know, it's, 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 it's ironic that you can say these things. You can say certain things on the radio. You can say certain things. You can perpetuate a, a certain way. Men can talk about their conquest of women in a way. Um, but as soon as women start talking about their conquest, they have to be put in this box unless they go extreme. Right. Unless yeah. they take off their clothes and say, I'm talking about it like this, mm-hmm. you know, but owning their sexuality is like, you know, taboo. Like, oh, don't do that. Oh, don't unless we approve, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I think, you know, the biggest thing is to figure out what what does liberation look like for the individual? What is the biggest thing that, you know, and I, I get liberated by performing, by writing, by having people like my work. Mm-hmm. And even when people don't like my work, when they ask me about my work, like, yo, what is this work about? Right. Um, Have you had, like, negative experiences where people just don't accept the thing that you bring? Oh, yeah. I've had people come up to me and say, hey, I was offended by some of your lyrics. Really? Mm-hmm. It happens, right? It, and yeah. but you seem very resilient to that. Like you're not, uh, because you're so sure about what you have to say. Right. You're like, well, that's just, that's okay for that, for that person not to like this because I'm still me and I still have this, this well, belief. Well, the hip hop community is not, so the hip hop, they love me because I'm lyrical, but the thing is, is that I also make you have to be responsible. Yeah. Now that you've heard this information, you have to go back and be responsible. Mm-hmm. You have to go say something to you. You know, you can't just keep doing, you know, what you've been doing because you know better now. Mm-hmm. And if you do it, you're going to it's going to be on your conscience. So you might not like me even more for presenting it. You know? Yeah, but that's like more of like a self-hate thing in that case because you don't want to acknowledge the things inside of yourself that you don't, but you're not taking responsibility for. But that's real because some people don't want, some people are comfortable. Mm-hmm. They're comfortable in their oppression. They're comfortable in their poverty or they're just comfortable in their way of thinking and they don't want to challenge it because that's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not what I know. Mm-hmm. It's not what I've been taught. So I don't want to. You trying to tell me my grandma was lying? You know, you trying to tell me, oh, she was wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's uh, it's really uh, the 
like I said, is to just not apologize, just to keep going. Mm-hmm. And the more I go further and the more I listen to the ancestors, because that's who really inspires me. I'll get up in the middle of the night writing something or trying to figure out something or wake up six o'clock in the morning writing, oh, I got to get this out. I got to say this thing. I got to, you know, and I know that it's my ancestors like pushing me forward to, you know, to say that thing, to do the thing that we didn't have the opportunity to do. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm standing on the shoulders of all this greatness. Is that the experience of creativity for you that like this, this comes to you sort of from wherever and then you got to get it down? Well, it is. It's a super magical process in the way that it comes to write because I'm not just like I don't write every day. Mm-hmm. I'm writing every week. Mm-hmm. But I don't write every day. And it's like it's like divine inspiration for me. It's like, oh, like. I'll be in a shower and a, and a hook will come and then it'll be like, oh, well, I got to write it down. And if I don't write it down right then and there, I'll forget it. Mm-hmm. And so I'll be singing it like 80 times. Like, I got to keep singing it. Yeah, you're in the shower and you're on pencil. Yes. It's like, okay, got to keep singing it. Got to keep singing it. And then I get to the pad and it's like, oh, what I said? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but, you know, just um, writing it down when I get the inspiration and being and being okay with that. Not feeling like, oh, it's writer's block. I'm not writing today. You know, something's mm-hmm. wrong. I'm not inspired. It's like, no. Um, and of all places, I'm inspired more in Pittsburgh because the grime and uh, the grime and racism and even like ignorance and culture exist here. So intelligent ignorance mm-hmm. actually happens. Yeah, because I know a lot of people who like have gone to the university, um, but they're not what you know I consider conscious. They're not. They're not politicized. Right. And so it's like, yeah, you're really smart, but you have no idea what's happening right now, and you don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, you're comfortable. You got your little, you know, you got your little suit. You got your little job. You got your car. You're good. You know, um, you're comfortable. Um, and that's what I mean. And this is not just being good. You're not comfortable being poor because you're not poor. Right. You winning. So you don't have to really think about these things because it doesn't really affect you, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, until it does. Until right. martial law is a real thing. <laughs> yeah. So the inspiration, like the artist that I listen to um, is like Erica Badu. Um, I'm a fan of Rihanna. Um, I'm a fan of uh, I'm a fan of Beyonce, uh, Tupac. I am a Drake fan. Don't tell nobody. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Meek Mills, uh, uh, Kendrick Lamar, and Lauryn Hill. Mm-hmm. Lauryn Hill of all of them is the most influential. Lauryn Hill and Tupac, but specifically Lauryn Hill um, as a woman um, who was politicized, as a woman who... And the same vein of Nina Simone sort of was like tore down for saying the things that she was saying. And even by, you know, um, her own friends, mm-hmm. even by her own community, she was kind of tore down everyone. Oh, she's crazy. Oh, she's this. Oh, she's that. And, you know, realizing that, you know, what she was doing was she sacrificed her career for the people and the people didn't care. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't care. They like, you know, she has this habit nowadays of being late to her shows, like hours late. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, hours late. Uh, <laughs> hours late to the point where people are like, I think people said that they had to wait like four hours when she was in Pittsburgh. Wow. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, she's at a point in her career where I'm not doing music for music's sake. So if you want to come and observe this masterpiece, mm-hmm. then. Hey, when the students are ready, the teacher will appear, and that it is, it is what it is. I'm not saying it's cool, cause I 
uh, black rap's not going to have you waiting for four hours. Right. You might be a little 30 minutes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but it's like her way of um, pushing away people who are not there for the right reason. Right. If you're not a diehard fan, you're not going to stay for four hours. Uh-huh. I mean, I might be looking a little crazy like... Uh, is there a complimentary drink with this? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so who do you consider your main audience to be? Or who do you really want to be listening and affected? Like, do you want uh, white people to be listening and saying, okay, now I'm learning something and I, and I my mind is getting changed? Or is it mm, also, or maybe instead, um, for black people to listen and, and feel their own em- empowerment and get that energy you know, in a positive feedback loop. I want my music to be intergenerational, intersectional. I want, you know, queer folks to listen to it. I want straight folks to listen to it, black folks, young folks, white folks, um, men, women. I do want it to, you know, the target audience, I think, I, I you know, I and I get asked this question a lot, like, who's your, who are you talking to? And I'm like, everybody. You know, I want America to wake up because to me, we're in the belly of the beast and we're the only ones who could really do anything. People who are mostly affected, third world countries and things like that, they can't do anything. Yeah. They, they wouldn't even let them in America. They won't even let them here, let alone rise up against their system enough to fight our system. Mm-hmm. So we're the only ones who can change capitalism. We're the only ones who can change racism and patriarchy and all this other stuff. We're the ones who have the power to do it. And until we wake up, you know, then nothing's going to be done about it. So my job is to deliver the message. I don't know who's listening. Mm-hmm. I never know. I like I'm trying to say, oh, 35 to 44. Well, maybe that's not it. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Oh, well, well, maybe black women need to hear this. But that's not it. But but white women need to take this message back and, no, well, white men, hey, y'all take this, you know, everybody. Just yeah. whoever's going to listen to, whoever's going to gravitate towards it. And I know that's like kind of a blanket statement and saying everybody. But I think that who who can fuck with it can fuck with it. You know, I don't want, if you're offended by it, and you don't want to listen to it anymore, then turn the shit off and keep it moving. You know, I don't want you to, I don't want you to engage this and then feel bad and say, oh, Medusa, I was offended. Oh, okay. Get over it. You'll be strong. (laughs) I would say, as not you, I would say, well, that you should probably be, you're probably the one who should be listening to this then. You know, like, like if you're offended by it, you should be digging deeper into why. Right, because I'm not, you know, I don't think that my music is overtly offensive. I think, like, I'm not, like, calling people a thing. I'm calling out the system. I'm calling out the system of white supremacy. Um, if you observe white supremacy, then you'll probably be offended. Um, I'm calling out the system of patriarchy. If you observe patriarchy, then you'll probably be mis- offended. Mm-hmm. Misogynist, you'll probably be offended. Sexist, whatever you are, if you are one of those isms, or you are ist, you know what I'm saying, then you'll probably be offended. So I don't find myself advocating. Like I said, the only thing that I am, you know, serious about is prison abolition. But everything else, um, I don't, I'm not like, hey, you know, go do this for, you know, any religious purpose or don't do this for any gender purpose. I'm not, that's not my thing, even though I specifically have 
the expectation that women will begin to shape the message. I believe that the universe is calling us to do a very real thing. We're finding ourselves in way more leadership positions than ever before. And I think that we're being pushed. The forces are pushing us into taking the universe back. We see that patriarchy and capitalism only breeds this chaos and pollution that's happening, not just pollution of the earth, but pollution of our minds, um, pollution of our bodies. <clears throat> We're dying from all types of diseases, diabetes and high, cardiac arrest, cancers. You know, the younger people, my sister, who's uh, like seven years younger than me, lost her best friend, who's her age, hmm. um, of cancer. Yeah, there's a lot of young cancer patients today. Of I'm like, well, how the heck? That didn't smoke cigarettes. Didn't smoke cigarettes. Wasn't this, you know, maybe it was a steady diet of meat. Maybe it was a steady diet of breathing in polluted air. Maybe it was, you know, but how can that young body get such a thing, you know, for... Back in the day, I thought it was like, you know, only old people got cancer, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but now you're talking about young people being affected. You're talking about the water. We can't even drink the tap water. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, like it's so many things to watch out for that it becomes like this. Uh, it's just really hard to exist in America. But I think the biggest thing is to resist. We can resist all of this. We can change. We have the technology to fix the water. We have the technology to, you know, clean the air. We have the technology to go from electricity to, you know, um, solar panels. We have all of that technology and the ability and the money to do that. We just have to be pushing our government towards that goal. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the creative piece that you brought today um, so we can hear hear some of your music. So um, what is the song that you brought? Is so something I, new? Yes, I brought a song called Karma. It's going to be on my Mary's Daughter mixtape. Um, When's that due to come? Uh, it's not going to be out till May. Okay. Um, Mary's Daughter mixtape is basically uh, a creation for uh, my play. For uh, the one woman show you were referring yeah. to? Mm -hmm. It's uh, Mary's Daughter, Memoirs of an Artivist. You can go onto my webpage at blakrapp.org um, just to stay up with us um, and find out where it's going to be. Uh, the goal is to tour this play, but also to generate this music, um, this uh, mixtape that also accompanies this, you know, um, like this movement, it's like movement music. I try to make, uh, create movement music. And so the track that I brought is called Karma. And the lyrics are really abstract. Um, like the hook is really abstract. But the main, the underlying theme is the system's trying to fuck with your karma. You know, it's trying to make you act out of character. It's trying to get you off your moral square by presenting all of this, you know, fake news, you know, about our livelihood um, and about the society we live in. Um, and so it's like, you don't have to let them do that. You could actually free yourself of all of this oppression if you just let them, just stop letting them fuck with your karma. Was this an, like an example of something that came to you 
in this sort of magical way? <laughs> yeah, so everything is magic. Everything has been, you know, also Pittsburgh has a weird magic to it, too. Um, I believe that. Totally. Yeah, it definitely has some weird. I see a lot of mandalas and geometry that mm. fucks with my mind. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so <laughs> yeah, so it, you know, it's 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 definitely magic, and I only receive this type of inspiration here. Uh -huh. Not that I don't write when I'm anywhere else in the world, yeah. but there's a certain type of frequency of the messaging that I receive here, and so this song. Um, the first verse really just talk about, you know, how far they'll go to fuck with your karma. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, just the levels to it. But then it's also to look like, no, not just systematic, but also in your household. Mm -hmm. Somebody can come fuck with your karma. Somebody can try to change you up to be what they want you to be or try to influence you to do a thing that they know is out of your character, but they want to throw you off your square because they're not on theirs right you know so it's just sure. like just talking about it like point i'm pointing it out and i'm not gonna let you fuck with my karma and um you know it's, it's it's funny because they say no pain no gain you know and the idea is like you know i i have someone um jaquaya may she's singing the hook and she's like well you know i've gained a few pounds though like i, I okay well look i i got all this gain you know what I'm saying? Like I done wish, but I'm still not. You know, I'm still not where I want to be. What is? What is? What does that mean? Uh -huh. You know, what does it mean to you know to pack on everything that you said to do? You know, to graduate from school and to you know go get a job and to you know live in a house and to still be depressed, right? I yeah. thought I did everything. Is it? Okay. I did everything you said. I have a nuclear family, and I'm still sad. Mm -hmm. Or I'm still not where I want to be or I still feel unfulfilled. What does that look like? And how do we challenge the system that's telling us, like, this is how this is a cookie cutter way of being. Uh -huh. And you have to fall in line with that or you're not normal. Yeah. You know. So <clears throat> is this an example of like some sort of spirituality in your music? Because it's kind of saying, like, if you're not in tune with your your spirit inside, like what is true to your heart or whatever. Um, then, and you're acting on other people's opinions about what you should be doing, then you're going to get stuck into these places. Right. Absolutely. Why is it that um, people have a hard time or are not are like not resilient to these outside influences? Well, I think we're we're you know we're fresh out of Jim Crow, right? So we're we're fresh out of. Uh, slavery, we're fresh out of black codes, we're fresh out of all these eras where people have not had access to their true selves. Mm. They have not had access to ways to elevate their spirituality. They've only been given like this kind of indoctrination by Christianity in a way that has not allowed them to get to God. They've been going through an, an intermediary you know, someone who's, you know, a go-between. They're not actually accessing God. Because if they were, they'd be able to see themselves in God or to see God in themselves and be, you know, um, and kind of rise higher. But the people feel lowly because they feel like, you know, I'm, I'm such a sinner that I'll never, you know, I'll never have the good in this life. I can only wait for the hereafter. So that's what they're praying for. Hmm. Um, 
that creates a type, it's a type of human being that becomes that person. Yeah, it becomes like vulnerable to this. Right. Yeah. Uh, and susceptible to, you know, all of the woes of society, which is why they can so easily be attacked. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that once you start to feel yourself and love yourself and to realize that you are God, too, um, and that you are a part of the universe and that you're a part of the celestial bodies and that everything that exists exists because of you and you exist because of it. And there is a connection to all of this. Once you recognize that you become higher and the system can't throw the same curveballs at you. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I seen that coming. I can move. Oh, I, you know, oh, let me, oh, we're playing this game. Oh, I played this game before. I know how to do this. You know, so you're prepared. You're more prepared when you can get closer to, you know, who you want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Great. So let's listen to it. Said black rap, you don't need no friends. All you need is to understand. No overstand your purpose, man. All you need is to understand. No overstand your purpose, man. Just 
Awesome. Love it. Word. That's so great. And um, I think it's such like a cool message to put in, into a song. Uh, I also have the experience of um, feeling uncomfortable in Pittsburgh and more comfortable in other places, but also being very creative in Pittsburgh and um, having more, not that I'm not creative in other places, but having that extra um, sort of special thing going on and I just sometimes it makes me think about creativity and un uncomfortability and and uh, if you're too comfortable then you're not experiencing that growth anymore right um, just as a now are you from Pittsburgh thing. I'm actually originally from Florida okay so yeah but I've lived here for like 20 years yeah and um, and like recently I've been reflecting on stuff that's happened to me since I've been here and it's actually, quite frankly, it's a lot of a lot of shit that's mm -hmm. very, very bad mm -hmm. has happened to me. <laughs> like oh, yeah. over and over and over again. Yet I love this city and I'm like, why do I love this city so much if it's been fucking with me for like twenty years? Like really like fucking with me. Oh yeah. I've experienced I've, uh, listen, I've not experienced half of the things in other places that I've experienced here. And now granted I've uh, had a relationship with Pittsburgh since like 2004, but um, you know I always leave. I usually am here for two years, and then I'm gone. Uh -huh. uh, uh, this year, I mean, I've been here right now. I came back from Atlanta in 2016, uh -huh. and I'm going to leave at the end of this year. Inshallah, it's time. Oh, Clock yeah, is ticking. Time. It's definitely Clock um, And it's not that I don't love the place. I think um, some of my closest comrades are here. Uh, some of my closest friends are here. My sister lives here. Um, and she loves it. Yeah. She went the pit. She loves it. She's like, no, I'm not living anywhere else. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, because I'm going back to the South. And then <laughs> from the South, I'm probably going to leave the country for a while. Um, I really want to get... Um, I like I said, it's a a lot of uh, sheltering and fakeness that America does to hide the truth um, from its citizens, mm -hmm. and it doesn't equip us to be good citizens and to be productive citizens. It just equips us to be little like automatons of the system or something like that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um... Like, I, I find it interesting to read news about America from news sources outside of America because they're always more they're reliable. They're right. always more yeah. reliable. Yeah. And I'm always, I'm always like getting so much insight into what's happening in our own country through the eyes of of outsiders. Because right. um, they just, it's just, yeah. It's hard to So yeah. can I ask, what, what did you think of the track? Like, what did it, um, is there any uh, part of it that sort of resonates? For some reason, for me, I, I mean, I find it hard to be totally myself when I'm around other people. Like, I, I keep myself to myself. Mm -hmm. And I have this whole front that I put on that's like, you know, the great Erica, blah, 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 blah. And she's like this. And if you don't like her, it's okay, because I, you know, d she's not really me. You know what I mean? No. Uh, but, but. Like, I, I remember listening to that song at Spirit that, mm -hmm. that night, and um, I felt then 
like I do right now listening to it, which is just like so like, oh my God, I need to quit with that shit. Yeah. And I need to, I'm, I'm in my own little prison. I need to free myself. And I, I'm like, I'm not empowered because I'm not being 100% who I am. And I need to get comfortable with that. And I need to go be comfortable with people saying, I don't like what you have to say and, and not apologizing anymore. Right. Um, are you into uh, tarot at all? Yeah, I actually, I have a tarot deck. I like have fun doing that. Word. Stuff. So you know about the hermit, then the hermit. Yeah. yeah, and the power that the hermit has, in my opinion, is like you have like insight into yourself, and maybe it doesn't look so well. So I can be um, uh, an antisocial extrovert. For me, it's like trying to materialize myself in this dimension. You know, realizing that I I don't come from this dimension. I don't think on on a, you know, in line with this dimension. So it's like trying to uh, recreate myself and like putting it together, like making a hologram or something for people to be able to see and to view, but not really wanting to give you myself mm-hmm. um, because everyone doesn't deserve access to that. Yeah, and if you continue to. Yeah, to water down yourself. So what I do is I put on my hat. It's like becoming a magician, uh-huh. you know, and putting on the hat, putting on the, you know, magicians. I, well, in my imagination, okay, uh, the magicians I know in my mind <laughs> don't just show up in plain clothes. They show up in wizardry. Yeah. They show up in, you know, in a whole entire self. And so I like. I want to channel my whole self. I want to channel my spirit self um, and channel whatever self quantum futurism that I can, you know, uh, put out there and, you know, inspire other people to reach as far as you can to be yourself, to be all of yourself, like whatever that means and whatever that looks like. Sometimes I'm walking out the house and I'm like, who let me walk out the house like this? Who let me go out here? Do you knew I had these socks on. Why do you let, you know? <laughs> it happened. You know, and then I'm also into like the Yoruba traditions. What's um, that? So Yoruba traditions are essentially... Um, Oh, an like, African tradition that's kind of uh, it's kind of changed to, to like the Africans from the continent um, during the transatlantic slave trade kind of took it to different places. So we see it show up in South America as um, Santeria. Mm-hmm. Um, we see it show up in New Orleans as Voodoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see it show up in African, Afro-Cuban traditions. So it's just kind of the same spirituality. The Yoruba traditions is mostly tapping into the ancestors that um, basically were guardians of different elements and different parts of the universe. You know, acknowledging that these entities exist. Um, and it doesn't take anything away from the one supreme God, but it says that there are multiple frequencies and energies in the universe and that we are a part of it all. And so if we want to tap into our water self, which our bodies are made up of, right? Like mm-hmm. our bodies, what, 70% water? 
something like yeah, that. 60, more than 70, that even, I think, right? yeah. So all of this water means that we can control water, which means that we probably can like live in water if we wanted to, if we wanted to tap into more of our brain and more of our you know, abilities to do so, we could do it. We could probably fly. We could probably do all of these really awesome things if we kind of tapped more into that spiritual self and being confident about it. I think, you know, not to get off on a religious kick, one of the things that Christianity does is that it it limits your ability to reach God because you have to submit and you have to say that I am not worthy mm-hmm. and you have to feel like you need forgiveness for everything that you do. And you have to feel like, oh, there's you need to repent or you need to, you know, you need to go to Jesus. You won't be able to get to God until you talk to Jesus and you have to wait for him to get back to you. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah, leave yeah. a voicemail and wait. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and so it just seems it just seems far fetched yeah. for a, a God that's almighty um, to have to wait. Sure. You know, um, yeah. When I, I could go that. to the source and when I feel like I'm a part of the source. Uh-huh. Um, and the thing that the Yoruba traditions is that for African-Americans, we've lost our language. We've lost our traditions. We've lost our our lineage, our connection to Africa, except that we're black. Um, so it's a way to reconnect with something that's long, that's that precedes Christianity, precedes Islam, precedes, you know, all of modern religions. This is the paganism that they spoke about that they said was so evil that all of these religions kind of embody as well. They they all take pieces of this religion, even though they kind of bastardized it and made it, you know, demonized it, made it into idolatry or something like that, when it's not mm-hmm. idolatry at all. I'm taking this opportunity as, as the hip-hop artist that I am to talk about these, you know, these spiritual elements that exist yeah. and that are alive and that can help us connect to the larger, you know, frame of our existence. Yeah, that's a... Awesome. I love that you're doing that. It's really, it's, I think it's just yet another thing that not a lot of artists in general are talking about in modern. Well, they are. Music. You know, Beyonce um, talked about it. She used Lemonade as a way to talk about it. Um, there are groups out there that are talking about it, um, but I don't think that they're explaining it. They're just doing a thing. CeeLo Green, he talks about it. Um, uh, yeah, there's quite a few artists out here who who do expound on it a little bit, but for the most part, I think they just you know kind of put out the symbols or the words, mm-hmm. or they may mention the deities, but they don't you know really explain it to the people. So by starting with karma, because that's something that people can access. Mm-hmm. You know, you can access karma. You've heard about karma in your community. You don't have to be super educated to have heard about karma. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, just spoon feeding the people with the mixtape, like okay, here's karma, and then I have a song called um, Culture, Um, like how we don't create music for music's sake. Mm -hmm. You know, how music was originally a way of passing down history. Mm -hmm. Um, The call and response is a way of passing history on so that you, I'm calling this out so that you remember it, and you're going to respond by saying, I remember. Mm -hmm. Um, Ironically, I'm Muslim. So, Mm -hmm. um, like I adhere so on one side it's like you know the <laughs> the religion the very religion that's big on you know uh you know the oneness of Allah um also shares some perspectives from the Yoruba culture mm. um so it's just like you know realizing the interconnectedness of 
you know, um, a belief in a higher power. Just as an, a real quick question, I was curious about who produces your music. Are you writing, do you come with the lyrics to a group of people or how does it, how does it come to be that that, that track exists? Um, the music behind it and everything. Yeah, so that track was produced by Live from the City. He's on um, One Hood's uh, team. He's a member of One Hood. Um, it was recorded at Tough Sound Recording, which is Soy Sauce. Soy Sauce is a really awesome uh, producer in the city. And so I use multiple producers. I'm actually looking for uh, a reputable producer. I always use Soy Sauce, so I was kind of going with a, a different sound mm -hmm. this time. Um, looking for a little more uh, hands-on, mm -hmm. so to speak. And I was hoping I could find some really awesome woman that wanted to do it. It's mm -hmm. a bit challenging to navigate, not any of these people, but um, still challenging to navigate hip-hop and production as a female whose main attraction is not my body. Right, yeah. Um, so it's dealing with you know is i know great producers but if they want to work on my project is the thing because it's not the you know the trap that mm -hmm. everybody's listening to right um and then it's also by a woman who you won't be able to have sex with after yeah you know? so it's like <laughs> right you know um there's a lot of women who got on because there was some man involved uh -huh. um, and I don't want to be that person. Yeah, I don't want to be, oh, I need a dude to get on or I need, you know, some man to speak for me mm -hmm. um, to be just to be recognized. Yeah. Um, so all of my stuff is self. You know, obviously I write my own lyrics. I find my own beats. You, you know, I like I said, um, trying to get a woman's touch. On, I haven't been produced by a woman ever. Mm -hmm. So yeah. if you're out there. Hit me Get up. in touch. Yeah. <laughs> you do um, involve a lot of women in your, in the performance, though, which is really cool. Like your, um, the other singers um, are almost always women. And um, like, I know that at Spirit, again, uh, you had a girl up there playing French horn mm -hmm. and all of these Sydney things. Strickland, shout out. Yeah, it was so cool. I loved it. It was really great. Um, so it was really a cool experience to see just like all you had. It was just like packed the stage with uh, with female artists alongside of you and on every um, track. Yes. And it, it's really awesome. Yes. Uh, Jaquia May, shout out Jaquia May. Um, Shanice Strickland, uh, Hotep, um, all the folks who just whenever I'm performing just come through and be like, you want me to get on stage? Because I can. Yeah. <laughs> and you say, so, yeah. 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 Come on. Whatever. The next one. You ready? Ready? We're going on now. Oh, yeah. wait. I got to get my horn. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Like, yeah. So it's just, um, just. Like a French horn, you never see that anywhere. Right. Ever. And she was just like. I happen to have it under my arm. <laughs> so great. I thought that was so awesome. I have really enjoyed talking to you. Yes, this has been amazing. I have really learned so much, and I, there's so much more um, to learn. I'm going to go learn about Claudette and Ella Baker. Yes, yes. Um, and everyone else should, too. Um, any other final words that you have in message? Messages? Uh, no, just that make you sure get you get on. Follow me at um, on Instagram at blak underscore rapp on Twitter, Facebook Black Rap Medusa M A D U S A. 
Um, yeah. Oh, and also check my video out. I have a oh, new yeah, video definitely. out. It's called Black Pride the Anthem. Uh, definitely trying to get those views up, people. Yeah. So go to my YouTube page, uh, Black Rap Medusa. Like it, share it, comment. I don't say you don't like it. Say you do like it. Say you wish it was more like it. Say whatever. Um, just let me know that you're listening and that you saw it so um, I can continue to be encouraged to do my work. Yeah. And um, I am, I personally want to say your work is awesome. I love what you're doing. It inspires me in in ways of learning about what you're talking about and also in ways of, you know, in a personal way to right. become more able to say the messages that I have to say. It's, um, I think a lot of other people probably see you and feel that way too. And it's so just keep doing that word. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing what I'm inspired to do. The, trust me, the ancestors do not allow me to, uh, Sit down. Yeah. <laughs> we should, none of us should be sitting down. We right. should all be Absolutely. in action. And so, um, and I'm really leaving today inspired. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you all for right. having me. Thank you. Appreciate y'all. Peace. <laughs>